0: Welcome back for another week. Our learning is dedicated to Lee, Lucy, Maya, and Rina D. Our full year sponsors, Naomi and Yitzhi Hallander, a complete refuel for all Cholim, Michelle and Gary Friedman, in memory of Chana Malka Bad David, and Rufu Shlema for Rachel, Miral, Hinda, Bat, Miriam Rivka. Our half year sponsor, Rufu Shlema for Mnucha Bat Shoshana, Chava, Devora. Our Spotify sponsor, Rufu Shlema for all those in need, and, error to sell. and Additionally, keep in mind, for for of Chaya, Batya Bat Elka, for all those that are in need. I feel like we have to uh go back just a little bit to last week um, because I think that there's a fair question to be asked. The question is that the Arun is taken out to war, and we say that's a bad thing. And and there is definitely A case to be made to say that it's not the ideal thing and it's not saying that should be done. And their intentions certainly were not pure and proper, but we take when we open the Aron every single week on Shabbos, on Minchan Shabbos, on Monday and Thursdays, and all other laning days, we read the Psokim of Vahibin Soaron. And what is Vahibin Soaron? It's not just a beautiful song, although it is a nice 15-second break, but it's much, so much more than that. What are we saying? We're saying, God, get up and scatter my enemies and destroy those people that stand in my way. So if that's what the Aaron is, if that's what we sing with the Aaron, then why is it so bad what they're doing? I think that the answer, and this is so critical to understanding the story, is that if you understand that the Aron is God deciding to do that, and you're davening to God, you're requesting from God, you're hoping that God will take care of you, then that's fine. But if you believe that it's a secret weapon, and that it's something that's going to guarantee you that you win, you're going to have bigger problems. And that really is the critical mistake of the Jewish people. We're going to see as we finish up Perek Dalit, that it Eli, who is the leader, and it's he that infuses this Hashkafa into the people, and we're going to see just how far it goes in. Yes, it's on my terms. That's the problem. But let's understand this a little bit more as it relates to the end of the Perek. the kalato Hara L'alat so the daughter in law, or the the da- his daughter in law, the wife of Pinchas Haralalat. So Rashi says Lalat Karho laledet. She suddenly had to give birth. There are others that say no. It just means that, like she laledet, they left out the Dalit. Vatishmata shmua and she heard the news. What news does she hear? So listen to how it says elhilaka haro nalokim. She hears that the Arun was taken. Umaid and she hears that her father-in-law is dead, the Isha. And she hears the third thing is that her husband is dead. So probably she's in labor and they're telling her the news, and they're starting with what is in their minds considered to be the least traumatic to her. You won't believe this, but the arm was captured. Oi. And worse than that. Your father-in-law was nifter. And really, worst of all, your husband, he was killed as well. So what happens? So she bends down to give birth uh, because she has tremendous labor pains. That's, That's what we're told is going on here. And then pasuk muta, as she's dying, The people that are there, they tell her, Al don't be afraid. Kibain you had a boy. And she doesn't answer them. I guess her heart doesn't turn towards them. There's almost like no acknowledgement of what happened. But she calls the boy, this is as she's dying, she calls the boy ikavod, ikavod, meaning the lack of honor. Might be, some might be familiar with the, uh, the name Ichabod. Ichabod is I kavod. But, ikavod. But ikavod they were "galavod myself, to say that the honor, the respect for the Jewish people has been removed. Because that the Aron was taken and that her father-in-law was uh, was killed and her husband died. So that's what she says. She names the kid, she names the kid Ikavod, that God's honor has been lost. Why? Because of these three tragedies. She mirrors the three tragedies that are told to her in Paso Giotet. But now listen to Chafbet. But She ends off, and this is the, the end of her life. She says that the honor, the respect, the kavod for God has disappeared. Why? Because the Aaron has been taken. At the end of the day, the kid's name, I kavod, comes somewhere. It's derived from the fact that the Aaron was taken. Yes, she's told all of these things. But they seem to be telling her in order of least important to most important. Wouldn't you think that to her, the most jarring would be that her husband died? Yeah. But she doesn't view it that way. She views the ultimate tragedy. The biggest consequence of this war is the fact that the Arun was taken. And I think, once again, this leaves us with the the problem of our psukim, and that is that the, the overwhelming sense that we get is that the ultimate tragedy is not that the Jews were routed and so many were killed, but it's that the aron was taken. And why are they so upset that the aron was taken? Probably because they view the Arun as a secret weapon. Now, as you're watching and listening to these psukim, probably it echoes in your mind, and maybe if you were looking at the screen, it echoes it even more clearly because you see that Kevin Rachel is up there. But this story should sound very, very similar to the story of Rachel that we read at the end of in Parshas VaYishlach. In Parshas VaYishlach, Rachel dies. And when Rachel dies, she's doing what? She's in childbirth. Listen to the similarities. Both of them. They both have very, very difficult, very difficult labors. And there is someone, probably who's well intentioned, that says, okay, but look, there's the good news. You had a boy. The name, Ben Oni, is what Rachel names Ben Yamin, the son of my suffering, Ikavod, the gods honor has been taken away. And obviously in both cases the mother dies. And the death is connected to the taking of an object. Now this one is like an interesting one. What is the object that's taken? So here it's obvious. The Aron was taken. She hears this. It puts her into labor. And it's a bad labor and she dies. The same way that Ailey's death is the same thing. He Falls off his chair when he hears that the arm was taken. What was the object that was taken in the story of Rachel? So take a look at the pasuk below. The Lavan halach it So no, Lavan went to shear his sheep. It was a big deal. People went. It was a celebration. The whole year you waited, or multiple times in the year you waited for the 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 animals to be have their uh, their their um, wool cut. And by shearing it, what ends up happening? You end up the beneficiary of all this wealth. And you can sell it and it becomes clothing, etc., etc. So they go. Why does love have to be there? So Shadal says, or Shlomo David Lutzato says, that the reason why he has to be there is he wants to make sure that people don't steal. If the boss isn't there, so everybody takes a little piece home. Will the boss know that 20% was taken off the top? Probably not. So he goes himself. While he goes, Rachel steals the Trafim that belonged to her father. The question is, what are these Trafim? So there's many different possibilities. Rashi suggests that they are idols. She steals the idols. Why? Because she doesn't want her father to be worshipping idols. So she steals the idols with the hope that it'll stop her father from worshipping idols. Obvious question is, okay, so he 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 loses his idol, and let's assume that this is his favorite idol, his most cherished, the closest one to him. Go to idols, go to idols. Aras, you go to the store and you buy a new idol. It's a big deal. How is this going to change it? Maybe she wanted to show it, send a message. You think that this idol does anything? I stole it. It doesn't protect over anything. Easy. If I can take it so easily, then what does that mean? It means it, does, it has no power. Okay, perhaps that's the answer to the question on Rashi. Listen to Shadal or Shlomo David Lutzato's answer. She stole the Trophim because she believed in them. She was not an idol worshiper. She was not an idol goral. It's not these these idols, these trafim, They're not idols, but what they do is they're able to divine for a person in the future. A person could look at them and figure out what's going on. And in the end, it's ke'en It's like a lottery. It's not hundred percent accurate. People would shake it a certain way. It actually, to me, seems feels a little bit like the magic eight ball. You shake it. You ask it a question. Will she go out with me? Right? That's the one you always see. I, should I go to dinner? Mm, ask again. Maybe. It gives you a vague answer. But that's what happened. People would then say, Oh, you see, God has answered this and this. The ain't it's not It's only a problem if a person says that this idol, this trafim, this magic eight ball is what's actually giving me the correct answer. But if you believe that God is the one, God sends me messages. So then I'm able to get it that way. It's not a vote of zara It would be like if I flip a coin and say, what should I do with my life? Should I go? Should I not go? So if I believe that the coin is the one that's actually going to give me the answer, that's outright a vote of zara But if I say, listen, you know what? I'm God, I'm giving you this right now. I don't know. Should I or should I not? I flip the coin and I say, God, you're going to be the one that's going to tell me what the answer is. Okay. But that's the object that she took. Now, when she took it, why does she Why does she die for it? So one possibility is she stole from her father idols, and that's deserving of death. Another possibility is that Yaakov actually is confronted by Laban, And Lovin says, why did you steal my idols? And he says, what are you talking about? I, I didn't steal your idols, and whoever did deserves to die. It's the of the bracha. What I the, the last similarity between the two stories is the Shevet Binyamin connection. This is the birth of Binyamin. And the, uh, the messenger that brings back all of this news comes from Shevet Binyamin as well. Okay, so these two stories seem to be very similar. The question is, what are we supposed to make of it? So I want to ask one more question. What is really bothering Ailey's daughter-in-law? And is it that bad? So of Bazak says the following. He says, comparing the Ark to the Trophim teaches us the idea of attributing independent powers to objects is not necessarily connected to idolatrous beliefs. It's exactly what Shlomo David Lutzato says. On the contrary, even a holy vessel even the Ark or the Covenant of God can be turned into idol worship if one disregards the fact that it is merely symbolizes the resting of God's Shechina and that God's desire is set in accordance with the spiritual state of the people. It says of Bazak, this is so, so, so crucial. But Bazak says that it all depends. The Aaron in and of itself is a holy object. If a person views the Aaron in a holy light, and says that this is God's object of holiness. Not that this is God. Not that this is a magic item. But that this is a way of connecting me to God. I could daven. And I, and hopefully Hashem, in my davening to Hashem, not to the Aron, will do good for me. If that's the case, then I'm praying to God. I'm not doing anything wrong. But if I believe that the ark itself, the arom, is the end, not a means to an end, it becomes idol worship. And that's where the Jewish people go wrong. And that, it starts on the top from Eli, and it trickles down to his daughter-in-law. That's what we see in our story, and perhaps that's why this is so important. There's a beautiful postscript to this story, though. And that is The following. The woman that dies is Pinchas' wife. Aishas Pinchas. Pinchas, one of the sons of Eli. Pinchas has two sons. Achituv and Ikavod. Ikavod, the boy that was just born here. Achituv has a son whose name is Eviatar. Eviatar will be the Kohen Gadol for David Amalek. He is replaced by Tzadokah Kohen. And he kind of goes back to Anatot. And he just sort of like is. We'll, we'll learn more about Evyatar as we learn Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Bet. And then we'll really, we'll see his end in the stories at, at the very beginning of Malachim. But there is a relative that is very possibly off of this tree, off the tree of Evyatar, off the tree of Pinchas, off the tree of Eli. And that is Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu, Miawa Navi, the Kohain from Anatot, same place. Yirmiyahu prophesizes about the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash. Listen to the pasuk that he says in Perek Zion. la labayit asher ni alav. God says, "I'm going to do to my house, the Beit Hamikdash, the house that is my name. It's the Beit Lukim, the Beit Hashem. Hasharetem bu You believe in it." And you think it's indestructible? And the place that I that you have that I have given to you and your forefathers. I'm going to do it just as I did to Shiloh. What did God do to Shiloh? Now the truth is, in our story, we have no idea. We know that the Aron doesn't go back to Shiloh, or we don't know yet. But we will see that the Aron does not go back to Shiloh at the in teragav. And that's curious why it does not go back to Shiloh you would think that it would go back to Shiloh it was taken from Shiloh it it came from Shiloh went to the war in a fake and so if you're going to return it return it to Shiloh but it doesn't go back to Shiloh and it's never going to go back to Shiloh. The question is why not? So the psukim don't tell us enough but Jeremiah says that what happened to the Beita, what happened to Shiloh is going to happen to the Beit Dash. What happened to the Beit HaMikdash? We know it was burnt to the ground. Tehillim David says, Mishkan shilo, Ohel shikain ba-dam. It's in Zayin Chapter 78, that Mishkan Shilo was destroyed. That's a fascinating article I found online. Excavations of the site of Shiloh revealed a destruction layer caused by a fierce fire in the 11th century, which coincides with the period of the priesthood of Eli Samuel, and the capture of the Ark. The destruction of Shiloh likely coincided with the Philistine victory against the Israelites, which resulted in the Ark's capture. We're, we only know that the Ark, that the Aaron went back to, will see, to the Plishti lands. It goes deep, deep into the Philistine lands. Remember what we said last time? This over here, this circled corner on the left, which is part of the Gaza Strip and to the north of it, that is the land where the Plishtim were. But they pushed all the way up to a fake. It's not so crazy to think that they go from a fake to Shiloh. It's not a long trip. I think we said last time, it's like 35 kilometers. They could definitely make it quickly and they burn Shiloh down. And so it's a, it's a horrible thing. It's a tragic thing. But there is archaeological evidence of finding fire, intense fire, that goes to the days of Shiloh in the times of alien Shmuel when the Arun was captured. And so the Aron is captured. Unfortunately, the peric is over. What is so bad about the Arun being taken? So obviously, it's a Chilashem. Why? Because the people that capture the Aron could so easily begin to say, Do you know why? Do you know why the Aron was captured? Because in the hierarchy of the pantheons of gods, there's our God and there is their God. See, we don't believe in that. To us, there's only one God. And we believe that Bain Latov, Bain Lara, it's all God. No matter what, good or bad, it's all God. But that's not what the world at the time believed. it. they believed in, there was a huge amount of gods. And it was not a big deal if God A defeated God B. That doesn't mean that God B is less or is not a god. It just means he's less powerful than God A. But that doesn't mean that God B can't find allies in God C, D, E, and F and then chase God B away. There's so many opportunities like that. We don't believe that, but that's the chil Hashem that exists in the Aaron being taken. So let's take a look. They take it from Eben HaEzer and they bring it to Ashdod. So the plishim take the Aaron and they bring it to the house of Dagon and they place it in in inside. Right near Dagon. Malvim says, Why do we have this Pasuk twice? It's essentially it takes us to Ashto. The arm was taken to Ashto. And then the arm was taken to Beit Dagon. Why? Why does that do that? So he says that what happened? He says, Beit Dagon, Oh, sorry, the ki Dagon They thought, they felt that Dagon had destroyed the god of Israel. So the matter should be open and be I'm zelo kav They said they're both zelo ha v'zelo. They're both gods. Yavo elohav yishraitz elohav. Shemalev they in case Amar kachias charo. And they they ratzalomer madu anamchu. Why are they punished? Why are the people that push them punished? Elam ruzen u'tzeach v'zena They said this one is the winner and this is the one that was beaten. Yavo natsuach v'tabeid lenotzeach. The one that was beaten, the aron hakim, should be subservient should worship, should bow down to the one that it destroyed, the one that it it was defeated by. So says the Malbin. So let's take a look. First of all, what's Beit Dagon, the house of Dagon? Dagon. So there's two possibilities of what Dagon could mean. There's Dagon from the word Dag. It was a fish god. Makes total sense. Who were the Plishtim? The Plishtim were a coastal people who originally came from northern from the northern part above Israel, possibly even as far as Greece, that's one possibility and and therefore they were always along the coast and they were ship ship sailing people, so big Dagon they would feel comfortable with the fish. Another possibility is from Dagan, some grains. there were people like most other people at the time that heavily relied upon. The grains, so they put it in the house of Dagon. I have a picture to share. Most of the Mepharshim seem to feel Rashi included that it's Kidmut Dag. The idol looked like a fish. That said, Rabbi Alex will points out that archaeologically, it is most likely, or more likely rather, that Beit Dagon is the second, is that it is the house of grains. So they at put it by and get up the next morning." and Dagon fell on the ground in front of the God, in front of the Aron. So what do they do? They put him back in his place. So the Rabbag says, "Listen, you know what happened." They saw in the morning that Dagon had fallen over. They assumed it's an accident. Why? It's not so crazy to think that it was a windy night. The ground shook a little bit. Who knows? And the idol fell down. They pick it back up. The very next day, they get up. And once again, He's fallen before him, Lefanav Artza, Lefnei Aron Hashem. Rabbisag points out it shows complete submission. When the brothers fall in front of Yosef to beg him to save Binyamin, it's the same thing that they fall Lefanav Artsa. The Rosh Dagan, the head of Dagan, Ushte Kapot Yadav, and his hands, Krutot, are cut off El hamiftan by the uh, entranceway to the door. Only Dagon is still okay, says the Mitsudas Davi. What does that mean? The body is intact, but the hands and the head are not. That's what they find the next day. And now, interestingly, Pasa Kay is just the narrator telling us something that this actually had an impact that was beyond this story. Al okay. Until this very day, nobody would walk on the threshold of the door because Dagon had, had been lying there. I believe that in the, there's a Pasuk in Tsefania that seems to indicate that even in the times of Tsefania, this was still the case. It's a strange, strange thing. But I, I thought about it a little bit. If you've ever gone into a sports locker room, you pay uh, between like 6 and $20, you can get a tour of many, 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 many stadiums. And they take you into the locker room. It's usually the most exciting thing. You're able to say, ah, oh, this is the locker room where such and such a player is, you know, plays. Okay, fine. They they have a rule. They tell you this beforehand. And I've been to enough locker rooms with camp that I've, I've heard this very clearly. Boys, there's one rule. If you break this rule, we're out of here. Nah, don't take any of this stuff. A ruer. You can't walk on the logo. If you walk on the logo, and they leave a security guard by the logo to make sure they take this very seriously, why? Why can't you walk on the logo? Who cares? So one possibility is that it's like a respect issue. You don't know, trample upon the 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 icon, the the logo of this uh, this storied or not so storied franchise. But another possibility is it's the idea. It's it's bad luck. You see the same thing here. They just felt like you you can't step there. It's bad luck. It's, or it's not respectful. Whatever it is. Dagon was there. We don't go there. So that's Pasuk Hei. Pasuk Vav. Okay, the story continues. So God has a pretty strong hand on the Ashtodim. Rashi says, Milashon Shemama. It's destruction. And God smites them with hemorrhoids. It says, But we read it as So Ashto gets hit with a terrible case of hemorrhoids or maybe some other disease. That but the surrounding areas as well. The people of Ashod see this. They said, "This is not going to work. This is the the God of Israel." Interesting. They, it's now not just the Aron Hashem, but it's the Aron Hashem Eloke Israel. The Jewish people have been lifted up a wee bit here. The God of Israel, the Aron that belongs to the God of the Jewish people, is having an effect on us and Dagon our God. We said at the beginning that the concern was that what the Aaron would be a captured would be a chilashem, but the Aaron could take care of itself. Why? Because it's God. It's not the people. So they say we don't want it. So they call a council of all the plishti r- rulers, and we said that there is no the Plishtim have a uh, have governors. There is no king. So the governors of the Plishim all get together and they say, What do we still do with this God, the Aron, that belongs to the God of Israel? Send it to God. And they send it off from Ashto to God. Now, the dot mikra says something, felt good because I was thinking the same thing when I looked at the map. It goes from Ashto to God. Why? You're going to see that the next stop is Ekron. What it was really doing was, they were slowly sending it further from the heart of the Jewish people. uh, I'm sorry, the the heart of the plishtim, and closer to the Jewish people. So they send it to God. Now at this point, why why is God not like, we saw what happened there. We're not interested. Thanks, but no thanks. Send it to a different town. So Rebazak says that the belief back then was that gods had power, but your power was going to be more in certain areas. It's to say that if you were to move to a different area, the god is weaker. I, I think that you know, one way to look at it is that if you think about in Egypt, what is the primary god? God number one was the Nile, and beyond that was the sun. Why? Because those are things that are absolutely ever-present in Egypt. Barely ever rains. Sun is always out. And and the source of all livelihood comes from the Nile. They didn't look at and say, Oh, God gave us the Nile, and the Nile is so good to us. They said, No, we, we have the Nile. The Nile is our God. But if you don't live there, so you don't think of the Nile so strong. The sun might be a great god in the land of Egypt. In Israel, the sun is not the primary God. Interestingly, Beit Shemesh in, in, in here uh, in Beit Shemesh, the sun was considered a more powerful God. Why? Because in Beit Shemesh it's always sunny, it's always hot. But in certain areas in Israel, what what is it more? It's more of a you you have more rain, and the rain produces crops. And so then in Israel, the more primary god of the non-Jews, of the idol worshippers, was what? It's Baal. The God of fertility, the God of abundance, the God of rain. So they said, listen, maybe the Aron HaLukim is the same way. Maybe for whatever reason in Ashtod, it has a lot of power. Let's move it to God. The people of God are like, okay, let's see. Uh, we're willing to take a chance. It doesn't sound unreasonable to think that that's the case. So they bring it there. And what happens? There's a tr- tremendous, huge Makkah there and here the people are are, are hit from 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 young to old and there is a terrible terrible case of hemorrhoids again and they send it to Ekro. now there's no council here to say what should we do with it they're like they put it on the ups truck and goodbye and good luck so they send it there. They say, what are you doing? We're not interested in this. Why are you bringing this to us? There is a meeting once again of all the governors. Raul Bag says, who's doing this sending? They call the Plishtim Komrim the Kosnayim. We're going to see in the next parak that they they talk to the, the priests, they talk to the magicians. To get uh, to get advice, what are we supposed to do? To the aron, should we keep it? And secondly, if we're getting rid of it, how do we get rid of it? So they they have this they have this meeting. It seems like in Ekron it's even worse than it was in Gat, and in Gat it was worse than it was in Ashdod. So the the governor of of Ekron says, "What are you doing? Get rid of it! I don't want to die. I don't want my people to die. I'm not interested in this all." And why? Because as soon as it got there, this makkah that had hit the city, it only gets worse. And so vanishing. Those that had not died are hit with hemorrhoids. El Tal Shabbat El Ahashamayim. And the crying goes all the way up to the heavens. Okay, so we see that when it's all done, the Aaron is in Ekron, which is the closest, I believe, right around there is Beit Shemesh. It's going to make its way there. So the uh, the Aron the is making its way back to the Jewish people. Who is orchestrating this? It's all God. The other one doesn't need any help. It does not need the intervention of people. God is making this all happen. Beautiful. Okay, so what happened? We're going to see in the next parak that there are rats that are somehow connected to the story. Rats and hemorrhoids. That's what we know. So question is, can a rat bite you in your sleep? According to Google, it can Wild rats are not used to human contact and will bite when will bite when handled or when people attempt to feed them by hand. The nocturnal creatures have also been known to bite sleeping people, particularly children and infants, on exposed body parts such as fingers, hands, toes, and the face when foraging for food. They're looking for food. Now think about it. Nowadays, when we sleep at night, so we're sleeping in pajamas, and most of us are relatively covered. And on top of that, we have a blanket. But back then, if you were sleeping with like the... Uh, just a sheet around you, so it's not uncommon for a person's body to become exposed, and the uh, the area where the hemorrhoids are could have been exposed, and if they were really big and inflamed, it would be something that would be enticing and appealing for a rat to bite. Um, is it dangerous for a to get bitten by a rat? Uh, the follow-up to this is how to get, you know, how to ensure not being bitten by rats, and it says if there's any infestation of rats, get rid of them. But the illnesses that one can get from being bitten by a rat includes typh- include typhus, leptospirosis, plague, and rat bite fever. These are all really bad things, which symptoms include fever, nausea, headache, sore muscles, aching joints, rashes on hands and feet. It can be treated with antibiotics like penicillin. But if not, so it's pretty bad. Um, And you could have side effects like meningitis, pneumonia, heart problems. So these rats and these hemorrhoids might seem on the one hand, like what's the big deal? Uh, Come on, hemorrhoids are so bad. Okay, hemorrhoids are bad. They're not so bad. Uh, It's not, you're going to lose, you know, uh, you're going to go crazy about it. I'm not sure. The rats are biting the hemorrhoids. That doesn't sound great. I definitely would not want to sign up for that, but perhaps you can suggest that the rats biting the people on their hemorrhoids led to all kinds of crazy diseases. These diseases that you have here, according to Google, with the absence of basic antibiotics like penicillin, which is obviously the case way back in Shmuel Al of Parakeh, would lead to wide-scale death. Plague. And so, that's where the Jewish people are. They're seeing this happen to the plishtim. And what happens? We go full circle. Because when the Perek ends, what are we told? We're told that the plishtim start crying. When we ended off our story back in Dalit, the sense was that the Jewish people were crying. There was tremendous crying in the land of or in the area of Shiloh, when they hear what happened to the Arum, and when they hear what happened to all the people that went out to war. Now, we end off by that the crying goes up to heavens. I will say, and with this I leave you, if you read these P'sukim, and these P'sukim have an echo, and they sound like, wait a second, I've, I I know these words, we have Mako, we have Ma'geifa, Mehuma, Fatal Shavat Ha'ir HaShamayim, Shavat rise like that? We do. We have it in another place. Where do we have that? They are in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. There is a seemingly strong connection between the two of them, and we will explore that a bit more uh, next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week, and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.